Welcome to the B'nai International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashen. Thank you for spending part of your day with us in this audio format. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. The B'nai International Podcast is a space we've been utilizing to hold frank and interesting conversations with our experts on staff. We've been discussing our advocacy for Israel, our commitment to the nation's seniors, our humanitarian relief work, and our organization's history. In just a moment, we'll be speaking with our Director of Legislative Affairs and the Deputy Director of the B'nai International Center for Human Rights and Public Policy, discussing a working definition of anti-Semitism. But before we get started, just a couple of quick reminders. If you're new to the on-demand audio format known as podcasting, it's an easy way to stay current with the organization during your commute to work, or while you're at the gym, or just tidying up around the house. Be sure to visit our website, benebrith.org, for more information on the content you hear today. You should also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Keep an eye on all three of those channels for the next episode of the show. But the easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play on your smartphone. It's easy. Simply open up your podcasting application on your iPhone or the Google Play Store on your Android. Search Penebrith International and then hit subscribe. That way, every time we release a new episode, it'll be downloaded straight to your phone. Well, joining me today is my colleague, Eric Fussfield. Eric is the Director of Legislative Affairs and the Deputy Director of the Benebrith International Center for Human Rights and Public Policy. Eric, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, we talked about, in our intro, a working definition of anti-Semitism. So for those in our community, uh, for those who study the subject, or for those who've experienced it, uh, there really is, is no definition necessary, uh, since it's one of these, you know it when you see it. Justice so Potter is, Stewart of the Justice, Supreme Court, apologies yes. apologies to Justice Potter Stewart. So why the need for a working definition of anti-Semitism, and where, where would that be applied? To those who have uh, lived a Jewish life and are aware of the history of Jewish persecution, anti-Semitism may seem like nothing new under the sun. But in, in fact, there's a lot that's new. In this century, specifically going back to the outbreak of the Second Intifada in 2000, uh, anti-Semitism has risen to new levels around the world, and it's also taken on new incarnations. It's it's the oldest social illness known to man, but it 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 appears in different manifestations today. And what I mean by that is uh, much of anti-Semitic hatred and activity is directed at the state of Israel. Uh, hatred of Israel often takes such a, 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 such virulent forms that it bleeds into anti-Semitism, it, it makes use of, haters of, and opponents of Israel make use of anti-Semitic stereotypes, traditional anti-Semitic motifs, uh, even using, in, in some cases, uh, images from uh, editorial cartoons in Nazi propaganda like Der Sturmer. We're seeing a recurrence of this in editorial pages today. So, the, the problem of anti-Israel hatred bleeding, anti -anti bleeding into anti-Semitism 
has reached a fever pitch, but it is not recognized this form of anti-Israel hatred as anti-Semitism. To the casual observer, this is just political commentary. So, for example, uh, drawing an editorial cartoon about an Israeli soldier killing baby Jesus or, or pulling his tank up to the manger where baby Jesus lies, that's just a commentary um, on the Israeli-Palestinian situation. It's not necessarily anti-Semitic per se, but in fact it is anti-Semitic because it plays on the old uh, motif of Jews as Christ killers. And uh, it, it um, perpetuates the problem in a very sinister way. And, and under the guise of political commentary... Right, and those who engage in this... Those who engage in this are saying, well, we're, we're just, uh, what's wrong with, uh, you know, legitimate criticism? But we know that uh, it's a pretty flimsy um, uh, justification. Yeah, it's a pretext. Exactly. When, uh, when in fact, uh, they're zeroing in on Israel um, uh, with whether it be editorial cartoons, whether it be at demonstrations, whether it be at signs at demonstrations, uh, speeches that are made, articles that are written, um, it's, it's all out there. So... When international organizations, multilateral organizations, put this on their agenda, um, are they doing this to, to mollify our community? Um, or they, are they doing this because they're genuinely interested in getting to the bottom of this? I mean, Europe, for example, has just been the scene of so many violent anti-Semitic acts. What, what is their motivation when they decide that they want to put this on the agenda and discuss having a definition? Well, it took a lot of effort to get them to that point because earlier in the century, the early 2000s, when it's clear that there was a significant spike in anti-Semitic activity, particularly in Europe, but in other parts of the globe as well, a lot of uh, politicians, public figures responded with a certain amount of indifference. They would say, well, this is just a backlash to incidents that are occurring in the Middle East, and it'll die down eventually, but it hasn't died down. And I think that uh, it's taken enough uh, persistence on the part of uh, our community and our allies to make clear to public officials that if you're going to stand for democratic values and human rights, you have to take a stand against what has become the biggest social problem in Europe today, hatred of Jews. And that hatred of Jews often appears in the form of uh, anti-Israel activity. And so uh, international organizations like, for example, the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, the, the OSCE as it's known, which is a multilateral body that includes all of the governments of North America, Europe, and the former Soviet Union, has taken on this cause of combating anti-Semitism through education, programs, law enforcement, and so forth. And this goes back, really, uh, about a dozen years. I know that Benabrith was present. I, I was part of delegations uh, that uh, attended conferences in, in 2004, 2005, uh, 6, and 7, I think, or, or two, I, I think maybe they went on beyond that as well, uh, that were conferences uh, focusing on trying to come up with some kind of, of definition. Why has it taken so long since 
those early attempts uh, to, to come to a definition that everyone can accept? Well, the European Union was the first multilateral group to um, not adopt at a high level, but uh, one agency within the EU did adopt a working definition of anti-Semitism in 2005 that B'nai B'rith and other Jewish NGOs helped formulate. And, you know, it, 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 um, it hasn't lived a long lifespan within the EU because eventually the agency that adopted it uh, took it off their website. So it doesn't have the same profile within the EU that it used to. But the resistance that you're referring to has to do with, uh, on the one hand, this sense that um, it, it's, it, it's hard to come up with a definition that um, is easy to address through um, conventional means uh, like uh, hate crime legislation and so forth because the Israel aspect of it is difficult for them to pin down. Uh, they, they, there's so much in the way of anti-Israel commentary in Europe and other countries that most public officials would like to just let pass. They may even engage in some of it themselves. And they don't want to be pinned down by saying, no, this is anti-Semitism. You can't criticize Israel in this way or that way. So they want to leave the door open to more castigation and condemnation of Israel rather than less. So what are we doing to keep their feet to the fire? Well, we're doing a few things. One is we are encouraging individual governments and multilateral organizations to adopt a working definition of anti-Semitism. The 2005 version, which I referenced a moment ago, uh, needs to be given uh, wider circulation within the European Union. It needs to be adopted at a higher level and the, by the, the EU. The operative clause in that 2005 definition was what? Well, there are... Um, there are several key clauses there, but one thing in particular that that working definition did or does is it recognizes that attempts to demonize Israel, to apply double standards to Israel, and to delegitimize Israel and uh, isolate it, treat it as a pariah state, are actually manifestations of anti-Semitism. That was the key breakthrough. So we, we need to have not just the EU, but the OSCE and other uh, international bodies embrace a similar definition. And uh, in fact, there was uh, a, uh, some progress made in this area last year in 2016, a group called the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, or IRA, of which the United States is a member, many European governments are members, they adopted their own working definition on anti-Semitism. So we need to keep governments and international bodies moving in that direction so that these working definitions get wider play and, and wider visibility. You know, it seems that uh, this is extremely important because there does have to be a standard. On the other hand, um, what do you say to those who say that this is kind of wheel spinning in a way 
while the fire is raging, uh, as you say, not only in Europe, but, but we see it a lot in Europe, but also in the Middle East and elsewhere in terms of anti-Semitism. So what, what can we do to support the effort, first of all, to get the definition, but beyond that, uh, what, what kinds of steps can we take? Uh, what, are we, what are we doing? We, I mean, beyond B'nai B'rith in terms of you know, the, the organized uh, Jewish community and our, and our friends outside uh, to deal with this problem. Well, it's a good question to ask at this time because there is, right here in the United States, where the problem has not been as acute as it has been in Europe, but nonetheless, tremendous proliferation of anti-Semitic uh, hate crimes in the U.S. It, the, the Jews are by far the most victimized religious group in the United States in terms of hate crimes. There is uh, now in play in the United States Congress legislation called the Anti-Semitism Awareness Act that would make use of a working definition of anti-Semitism, the working definition that was adopted by the State Department uh, about 10 years ago or so. And what this legislation would do if it passes is direct the Department of Education's uh, Office of Civil Rights to use the State Department working definition on anti-Semitism uh, in determining the motivation and intent behind anti-Semitic hate crimes that occur on college campuses. And of course, college campuses here in the United States are where the problem is the most acute. So what can we do? Uh, if you're here in the United States, I would say start by telling your senators and your congressmen that they should support the anti-Semitic, uh, the Anti-Semitism Awareness Act. And this will come up in the, in this session of Congress? It will. It, it actually passed unanimously in the Senate last year. We ran into a, a roadblock in the House of Representatives. So it'll be reintroduced in both houses this year. Part of the problem we encountered was this perception on the part of some that this legislation would somehow limit free speech, which we believe is not the case at all. In fact, there is a Supreme Court uh, precedent on this, the case of Wisconsin v. Mitchell in 1993, which says that it is okay uh, to use uh, d definitions of anti-Semitism in determining the intent behind hate crimes. We're not trying to say that all uh, anti-Semitic speech should be limited because most of it is protected by the First Amendment. But if a hate crime occurs and you want to determine whether it's an actually an anti-Semitic hate crime or whether it's something else, you should be able to use the State Department's working definition of anti-Semitism to determine the motivation of the perpetrators. If it's okay to do it in Europe, it should be okay to do it here in the United States as well. Well, uh, B'nai B'rith will continue to uh, be front and center on this issue, particularly at a time when uh, anti-Semitism is not only spiking, it is just spreading um, globally, uh, perhaps uh, because of the internet, uh, perhaps because of other reasons, uh, but it's uh, um, uh, a, a scourge uh, that this organization has for all these 173 going on 174 years that we've been in existence. Uh, a scourge that uh, we are committed uh, to fight and to battle. So, Eric, thank you for your efforts in this area. Uh, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks again for joining us for the B'nai B'rith International podcast. 
We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, again, a reminder, please visit our website, benebrith.org. Like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend if you like what you've heard. For my colleague Eric Fussfield, I'm Dan Mariashin. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast.